Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Pat Donovan, flying solo tonight. And before I jump into tonight's player spotlight, I wanted to just touch very briefly on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, you know, I, I don't know that my opinion has changed at all, nor nor should it, um, from what I thought of Vlad before the year began. Um, and I think it's fairly consensus. I mean, most people expect him to hit for a plus average. Um you know, even the projection systems are on board with that. Um, and personally, I would probably place the power somewhere between 25 and 30 homers full season. Now in this climate, maybe I would give that a slight uptick. Uh, but you've got to keep in mind that he's missed 30 games at this point. And with that, I'd probably expect um, right around 23 homers, give or take, with about a 290 batting average. Um, I do expect him to be a regular 300 hitter during the course of his career um, based upon the plate coverage, the quality of the contact, etc. But, you know, it's his first time around the league, so um, I feel more comfortable placing him in like a 285, 290 type range, which is still excellent. Uh, Obviously, the situation in Toronto is less than ideal, um, and it's probably going to get a little bit worse as the year goes along. And Toronto is able to move on, move some pieces. Um, you know, Justin Smoke comes to mind as a player that they could deal. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, you weren't buying him for the counting stats, I don't think. And, and I still basically view him as, as an asset very similar to what I viewed him as pre-draft, which was probably a little bit below the market. Um, you know, I would still rather have Eugenio Suarez, even though the Reds are off to a slower start. I mean, they scored 12 runs tonight, so maybe they're ready to turn it on. I know Suarez went deep. Um, I, I would rather have Matt Chapman. Uh, I think I'd rather have Vlad than guys like Travis Shaw, uh, Justin Turner. So, I mean, it, it sort of gives you an idea on where he falls into that middle of the third base pack in my mind. I think most people probably have him in front of Suarez and Chapman, but um, I'd still rather have those guys that are proven assets um, at this point over Vlad, and the fact that those guys are in better situations as well. So let's move into our player spotlights, and uh, the first guy I'm going to talk about is Pete Alonzo, um, another prospect uh, before the year began that generated quite a bit of hype, uh, although not on the level that Vlad Jr. did. Um, Alonzo has been all the Mets and his fantasy owners could have dreamed of through this point. Um Power has been as advertised with eight bombs, backed by a hard contact rate near 50%. Alonso is among the league leaders on the StatCast leaderboard in several key categories. We're talking max exit velocity, barrels per plate appearance, fly ball line drive, exit velo. Um, but perhaps most importantly, the strikeout rate's right around 25%. Um, and that's that's great for a, for a player that was hyped as having a good deal of swing and miss. And, and with that swing and miss component, I mean, the 25% is backed by an 11% swing and strike rate. So the swing and strike rate is not egregious, and that makes me think that there's a good, there's at least a decent chance that Alonzo is going to hold that 25% strikeout rate. Um, and if he's going to be around there, I think he's going to be pretty solid because I think part of what was undersold about Alonzo as a prospect was uh, the potential to post plus BABIPs. Um, the batted ball profile is fairly even across the board. There's not really an area where he's 
um, particularly weak. You know, there's, there's not a lot of fly balls. There's not a lot of infield fly balls. Um, I mean, the, the, the fly balls are part of his profile, but, but it's fairly balanced across the board. It's good for Babbitt. So if he's going to float around a 25% K rate with plus Babbitt skills, I, I think that the projections that he was going to hit 230 or 240 were probably light. Um, and I thought that going into the year, um, and, and personally, I mean, I was thinking he was more of like a 255, 260 hitter. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked though. I mean, if he can, if he can get up around 275 and, you know, it may not be this year, but I, I think it may come, um, in time for Alonzo and, and I don't put it past him this year either. Um, but if you were looking at him as a potential average strain, I don't know that you need to look at him in that light anymore. Uh, I think projection wise for full season I think he's a 30 plus homer bat and and I would put the average around 255 260 and I feel comfortable doing that based upon what we've seen the quality of the contact and the fact that he doesn't seem to be um, as heavy a swing and miss guy as he was um, painted painted to be painted with that brush before the year began um you know, I, I was bought in at the start, and I remain in on Alonzo. I, I think that he's squarely in that second tier of um, first baseman. You know, he's not the upper echelon, but I, I certainly think that he's he's made his way into sort of that next tier of options. And you know, he's hit second all year for the Mets. Um, he's got his his run production has been good to this point. I would expect it to stay that way. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty much in on Alonzo at this point. The second guy I'm going to talk about is Joe Musgrove. Uh, Musgrove is certainly doing some interesting things, but there's also some red flags here. The good is he's up to slider usage. Then we've got a rise in swing strike rate up to 13% overall. He's increased um, emphasis on his four-seamer and decreased the sinker. Uh, and even though he's done that, he's retained elite control. Uh, and may have more coming on his strikeout rate um, based upon the whiff percentage. But the bad, the fastball velocity is way down. Uh, he's down around 90-91, which is two and a half ticks down from where he was last year. That is likely going to lead to the pitch being less productive over the course of the year, and also hints that a pitcher that has had some shoulder problems in the past may be dealing with something. Overall, I think Musgrove's value is up, uh, but I wouldn't be opposed to shopping him to see what I can get for him, especially given the current pitching landscape. I mean, I think that there are a lot of good pitchers that are off to slow starts, and there are a lot of teams that are panicking about their rotations right now. So you may want to throw Musgrove out there and see what you can get for him. And if you can get out before the injury strikes, if there is going to be an injury, I mean, again, you know, velocities, it's not, it's not a 100%, 100% sign of injury, but um, it's certainly an indicator, um, especially with a guy that has a track record. So, I mean, it's not, it's not the worst idea in the world to throw him out there and maybe get out before the bad comes. Um, I don't think he's this good. <laughs> Certainly, I don't think anybody thinks Musgrove is at this level of pitcher, but um, I, I think that you might be able to get out before um, 
either the fastball velocity catches up to him or the injury bug maybe catches up to him. Um, and even if he remains solid for the rest of the year, I think what you can probably get for him at this point is probably a little bit better um, than what he'll do for the rest of the season. So I think it's a potential profit opportunity. Uh, Paul DeYoung is the next guy I want to talk about. I mean, we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was one of my preseason favorites for a potential breakout, and he's continued to rake, and the signs are all positive. The K rate is down again, 18%, plenty of hard contact. He's got fly balls for power, enough line drives to keep the BABIP at a decent level. Uh, he's even running with a couple of steals so far. And I think we could be looking at like a 30-10 type that could potentially reach the 270 average range. Uh, and plus, he's in a run-producing role. Uh, you wanted him to be the three-hole hitter in this lineup behind Goldschmidt and Carpenter, and that's exactly where he is. Uh, you can't get into a better spot than that, to be honest. Um, so I think there's going to be lots of RBI opportunities. He's got Ozuna behind him. So I, I think the lineup behind him is good enough to drive him in uh, and, and prevent him from lacking in runs. So all in all, I... I think the arrow is way up on Paul DeJong. Um, you know, if you bought in at the preseason price, uh, he's a significant profit through this point in the season, but I expect him to remain a profit, uh, barring injury. The next guy I want to talk about is Domingo Herman. Uh, Herman was interesting last year, but was prone to blowups. This year, due to injury, he's received none of a shot, and he's delivered thus far. He's got plenty of swing and miss, a 14-plus percent whiff percentage, uh, and that's consistent year over year. That, that's that been there. The big difference year over year is the Babbitt. Uh, right now he's at 180 compared to 300 last year. The strand rate is up 11% to 76.9%. That's not ridiculous. That's, that's not like a crazy high uh, strand rate, so I, I think that can hold if anything last year's was, was low. 76.9 is, is a little high, but it's not... It's not outlandish, um, and certainly sitting at 65% is, is much lower or, or much more extreme on the spectrum than 76.9%. And a .7 homer per nine compared to 1.58 last year. Uh, Herman is still giving up plenty of pull contact. I imagine the home run rate is headed up, and the Babbitt certainly is. Uh, it doesn't mean that Herman is useless, uh, especially with the filthy curveball. Uh, it's just more likely that he's a high three ZRA type than he is, you know, a top 30 starting pitcher, for instance. Um, he's got intriguing skills. There's going to be some blowups. There's going to be some pain. But there's also going to be starts where he's striking out eight, nine, ten guys um, as long as he's in the rotation. And he seems to have... Uh, a pretty decent leash now with Severino out for the length of time he's going to be out. Um, and, and the fact that Herman has been productive at this point, he's earned himself some leash. So I don't think it's going to be one bad start and then he's out. Um, so that's, that's always good that you do not have to worry about him potentially getting booted from the rotation, at least in the short term. Wilson Contreras is the next player I want to talk about. He's got six homers. Uh, that's already more than halfway to last year's total. Uh, he's seen a big increase in his early season walk rate. And the Babbitt has also gone up significantly from 313 to 382. Now that's probably, well, it's not, it's not that it's probably not sustainable. It's not sustainable. 
Um, he's seen a nice size jump in both hard contact and the fly ball percentage. Uh, the batted ball profile isn't great. You've got a low line drive rate with the increase in fly balls. Uh, that tells me that the BABIP has been probably especially fluky and is going to come down significantly. Uh, catcher is obviously a wasteland, so even if you account for the regression, Contreras is still easily a top 10 um, catcher, but you know he's not, he's not entering the upper echelon in terms of skills. Um, there's still some pain to come and some regression to come. So, I mean, if somebody wants to pay you as though he's a top two or th- or even three catcher, you know, if he's clo- as though he was close to Rio Muto and Sanchez, um, you know, I, I would certainly be open to, to listening to offers uh, at that price. Uh, but if, you know, he's simply going to be paid as the higher end of the middle of the road, then I would think you're better off just holding on to Contreras at that point. Okay, and uh, I want to talk about his Cubs teammate, Jose Quintana. Uh, the performance has been great thus far. He's got a caper 9 over 11, which is higher than any full season he's ever posted. And, and I mean significantly higher. It, it, he's often floated somewhere between 8 and 9 caper 9s. Um, and he, at over 11, it's, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. The ERA is sub-3. Uh, the ground ball rate also represents a career high. So, I mean, the question becomes, is it sustainable? Well, the, string stri- the swing strike rate near 12% looks good, but I don't believe he's going to keep the K rate at this level. I expect him to be in or around 9, so at the higher end of where he's been in his career. Um, the two big differences we see year over year, uh, he's throwing his sinker more, uh, so he's got... The two fastballs working. He's got the four seam and the two seam. The curve, and he's throwing a new change, which he's using about 10% of the time. If he's comfortable with that pitch and can use the two fastballs, I think this is mostly for real. The curve was the real money pitch for him in the past. I don't know that it's coming back to the elite levels, but it doesn't need to be elite if Quintana can have another secondary and utilize his two fastballs. Um, So I, I, I think there is a path here for him to to sort of get back to prior levels. But I, I think you really have to watch that change-up usage uh, more so than anything else. If that if that's going to be more than a show-me pitch, uh, I, I think that there's a pretty good shot that he's a good pitcher for, uh, you know, most of the year. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm buying for the most part. It is a cautious buy. Mitch Hanniger is the next uh, player up on my list, and I've heard some consternation about Mitch's increasing K rate, declining walk rate. I'm not terribly nervous at this point, and most of it's eye test. I've watched a lot of Mitch Hanniger this year because I have a lot of shares of him. Uh, the chase rate is actually lower year over year. The swing strike rate is up a tick year over year, but it's it's again, it's not concerning at this point. Um, in terms of juice, Hanniger's been strong. The power has been plus. Uh, he's got... A plus Babbitt, but it's not otherworldly. Uh, he stole his third base tonight, uh, and he's getting plenty of room production in the Seattle lineup, hitting leadoff or second most nights. And and he's been about what we expected, and it's toward the higher end of his range of outcomes in terms of pace. I mean, he's pacing at like a 30, 
uh, 15 type pace, and that's probably towards the higher end of where you would expect him to be. But, um, you know, I think it's all systems go when it comes to Hanniger. I, I think he's a very, very solid player, um, an all-around contributor. And, uh, you know, we kind of faded during the draft process because of Seattle and, and what was around him. Uh, and that lineup has turned out to be pretty good as well. So you've got a good player um, inside the lineup that's I, – I, I, I'm pretty – I feel pretty safe calling it at least an average lineup. And I, and I think it was a little underrated coming into the year. So, I, I mean, I think it's all systems go as far as Mitch goes. I mean, he's not, he's not a first-round – first or second-round talent in terms of what he does. But, I mean, he certainly – looking like a fairly safe bet to hit about 270 with 25 bombs and 10 steals. Um, and that is probably like your middle-of-the-road projection. Uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of upside beyond that as well. Okay, Pablo Lopez is the next uh, player I want to talk about. I watched his whole start against Cleveland, and I came away pretty impressed. Uh, he's got lots of arm side run on that fastball. The velocity seems a little inconsistent uh, over the course of the year. He's been fluctuating between 93 and 97. That's a pretty wide range. In this one, he was more 93, 95. But I still think that's plenty when you have the sort of run that he does on his fastball. Uh, Lopez's development's largely going to depend on the success of his secondary stuff. The change has been successful based on P-Val. The curve has been middling. I don't know that the change is lights out, so he probably needs a curveball to be an average offering. But, I mean, even as constituted, uh, I think even if the curveball isn't there, um, you know, to the level that, that I think it needs to be for him to be more of a complete package, even with just the fastball, the good control, uh, and the change, he's still, in my mind, uh, certainly a worthwhile home streamer. Uh, and, you know, in, in good ballparks, I would certainly roll him out there. And in this landscape, I mean, yeah, I, I think he's pretty close to a must-own a must in, in even standard mixers at this point. Um, he's certainly towards the back end of whatever rotation you would you'd be looking to put together. But... Um, I think he's pretty solid. I mean, he's no Caleb Smith, <laughs> but we all can't be Caleb Smith. Okay, Anthony Rizzo is the next player I want to touch on, and uh, I know there were those that were down on Rizzo to start the year. I was not among them, and I'm still not terribly panicked on Anthony Rizzo. I actually think he's a very good by low opportunity. He's got great discipline and patience. The BABIP is sitting around 200. And I don't think it's going to remain at that level. 44.1% hard contact indicates that better days are ahead. Um, and, and not only in the average department, but also in the power department. Rizzo is putting the ball in the air plenty. The batted ball profile does not indicate that the Babbitt issues are significant. Um, and I mean, you know, Rizzo does have a history of less than ideal BABIPs. I mean, he's normally been a guy that's been around 290, uh, and I would expect him to be there again, but that means he's got 90 points of BABIP coming his way. And and we saw him start slow last year, and that was mostly due to injury. Uh, we haven't heard anything about an injury this year, and for the most part, he looks healthy. I just simply think it's a slow start. Uh, 
Um, and I and I would be buying. I think by the end of the year we're going to see Anthony Rizzo around thirty bombs, and hitting, you know, two seventy to two eighty. And you know, if I was putting a projection together for the rest of the year, I'd probably put him at twenty five bombs and two eighty, and I'd be happy with that. So yeah, I'm I'm buying Anthony Rizzo, um, especially if the price has. Uh, sunk given the rise of some of the other first basemen that we've seen. You know, we talked about Alonzo tonight. Um, you know, I think I'd I think I'd feel safer with Rizzo than I would Alonzo, which is kind of funny to say given the fact that, given how they've performed. But that that's the truth. I would certainly make that deal. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Christian Walker. I'd also trade Christian Walker for Anthony Rizzo in a heartbeat. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of some other names. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, without naming names off the top of my head, I'm certainly buying Anthony Rizzo and I would certainly advise you to buy him as well. Uh, I, I expect this to turn around. Noah Syndergaard's an, another player that's gotten off to a slow start. Um, the skills are still very sound in terms of K's, control, and whiff. The velo is still strong. Although there's a noticeable decline in slider velo, but I'm wondering if that's a classification issue where maybe... A couple of his curveballs were um, listed as sliders. The issue is his 50% strand rate and inflated BABIP about 30 points above average. Um, he's certainly a buy to me. I mean, any knowledgeable league, you might struggle to to be able to grab uh, Noah Syndergaard at any kind of discount because, like I said, I mean, those, those are things that are well-known that are going to turn around. Strand rate... Um, higher Babbitt and the rest of the skills look fine but you know you never know you throw a feeler out there and you see what will happen um, there's a possibility that maybe you can get him um, you know I, I have Tyone down here as a potential um, piece that you could offer but Tyone obviously had uh, not such a great start the other day and it's kind of pushed his uh, full season line into a middling range. So Zach Greinke is another one who who I think has had a nice start to the year. Um, he's coming off a good start, and you, they were close enough that you might be able to do that if you toss in another piece, and I think I would do that given Noah's upside. Jesus Aguilar is the next player I want to talk about, and you know this was always the concern with a player that was sort of an out-of-nowhere breakout from the year before. He's had a slow month, and now the job security is in serious question. Um, he sat in three straight and four of six in the past week. Um, we know that Eric Thames is capable, as we've seen before in the past, and he's got the strong side of the platoon if they decided to platoon the two players. Uh, but, you know, PT issues aside, he's been pretty unlucky. Um, Aguilar, the K rate and walk rates are fine. The sub-200 Babbitt doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at that 25.5% line drive rate and 37.3% hard contact rate. The infield fly balls are slightly higher, but it, it doesn't make sense that it's 130 points of Babbitt. Um, the power, the fly balls aren't being pulled and aren't being hit hard. That's where the problem lies. Uh, so, I mean, it, he's certainly a true gambler's buy low because at this point you don't know how many more opportunities he's going to get to seize this job back. And while there are certainly indications in the profile that say this is going to get better, 
there's also the issue with the fly balls, which is where the power is going to come from. So if he's not, if he's not going to hit the ball hard in the air, he's not going to hit for the power. And if he's not going to hit for the power, I mean, that's really where he makes his hay. So it's, it's going to be tough, um, for him now. I mean, odds that he turns it around. If I knew that he had the whole year to turn it around, I would turn. I would probably put it at about sixty-five percent. I would say it's more likely than not. But I've seen the Brewers do this before. I've seen them do it with Jonathan VR a couple of years ago. Um, they they're not going to sit there and roll this guy out day after day after day after day if he's not hitting. Um, they've they've got enough depth that they can, you know. Put him on the bench and use him as a as a pinch hitter. Uh, you know they can roll Thames out there at first base. Um, Hernan Perez is actually off to a very nice start this year, and um, you know maybe that's a scenario where Thames and Perez are sort of a platoon, and that allows them to sort of get some better defense into the lineup when um, they're facing a lefty. Um, and they can kind of move Shaw over the first base and play Perez at third or play Perez at second and Moose at third and Shaw at first, or however they want to situate it. But, um, you know, I, I definitely think that Aguilar is in some trouble here. I think that I would be very nervous if I was his owner. Um, if, if you think he's going to get the playing time, he I think that I th- I don't think he's this bad, and I do think that he would turn it around if given a significant opportunity. I'm just not sold the opportunity is there. So I spoke about Noah Syndergaard. I also want to talk about Zach Wheeler, who had a amazing start the other night. Eleven Ks, seven innings, shutout ball versus Philly. Um, he's been somewhat inconsistent to start the year. His command has been uh, touch and go. Um, and he had an outing where, like, he really walked the world. I think it was 2K, 7 walks. Um, I think it might have been against Washington. Um, and in his other starts, he's also walked a bit too a bit too many batters for, for your liking. Um, and, and I think it comes from he's trying to find his secondary stuff. Um, the fastball is electric. Um, I mean, he's regularly going out there pumping upper 90s. Uh, I, I think it's going to come, though. I, I, I do, uh, even in this start, I don't think that the secondary stuff was as up to par as it was in the second half last year. Um, it would certainly be difficult to buy off the last start. But if the next one is shaky, um, I would be all over him because I, I think that he's going to put together at least one really pretty special run this year, and, and I expect him to be pretty good overall. Um, as I've mentioned, because the fastball is very good, and it's even seen that uptick in velocity. So if he can find any semblance of command of his secondary stuff, and we've seen him do that before, I think he's going to be a very, very good pitcher. Um, you know, borderline ace. All right, third base, Renato Nunez is, is my next player I want to talk about. And, you know, I've said this time and again, uh, bad teams provide opportunity and produce value. Nunez, a former top 100 prospect with a 32 homer season in the minors, um, has been given the opportunity in Baltimore and is raking early in the season. Uh, but, 
he's a bit of a free swinger. He's got a 6% walk rate, but is aggressive enough to keep the K rate down at 22%. So sort of that Javier Baez profile. Um, the batted ball profile is lots of pull, lots of hard contact, and lots of fly balls. That's what you want to see. Um, he's not going to be Alonzo and, or, or Christian Walker in terms of um, the BABIP skills because of the abundance of flies. So I think the average probably peaks around 260, and I think you'd probably be better off projecting somewhere in the 250 to 245 range. But I think there's 30 bombs here in the AL East, and the Baltimore lineup hasn't been a total waste, so the RBI production has been there and could be there going forward. Uh, next player I want to talk about is Luke Weaver. I think there's some interesting stuff here from a pitcher that was largely forgotten pre-draft um, and was pushed way down boards. Uh, Weaver has upped his cutter usage and made the curve a, a show-me pitch. He's showing good control and command thus far. Uh, the swing strike rate doesn't align with the K rate again, but I think I would put him around 8.5 to 9 Ks per 9. Um, if he's there and the control is flat, he's likely to be useful. Uh, the other issue is the hard contact rate is above 40%. That's not great. Um, and that means that his BABIP, which is above league average, is probably earned. And there may be more homers coming. Uh, certainly don't want to buy in at last year's levels. And what I mean is last year's levels as in pre-draft. Um, there might be some people that are very, very excited by Luke Weaver in terms of having liked him last year and now um, seeing what they thought they saw in him last year, um, I'm not buying in at that level. Um, I think he's a step above, uh, you know, remember I mentioned Pablo Lopez is an interesting back-end piece. I think uh, Weaver falls maybe a slight tier above that. I would have him in front of Lopez, um, but I also don't want to get head over heels about him. Okay, Jose Ramirez started to turn it around. Um, it's nice to see the signs of life from him. The BABIP continues to be an issue. Uh, but last year at 252, he was, in terms of BABIP, he was among the best players in baseball. Lindor is back now. That should help the situation. The Cleveland lineup has been somewhat barren. Um, I, I do think he's a moderate buy, though. I don't think I can pay full freight for him. Uh, but I, I do certainly expect a rebound, and we've started to see the signs of it. Uh, the power is going to come. He's been running thus far, and there's too much contact for him not to see some hits land. Um, but I, I certainly think his stock has taken a hit, and I think it is warranted now because we've seen him um, struggle from the Babbitt perspective uh, for a pretty significant stretch now dating back to last year. Um you know, certainly category juice will be there, and certainly the contact is enough that even with the with the poor Babbitt, he's going to hit um, around 270 like he did last year. So, um, you know, if somebody is completely panicked, I'm certainly buying. If somebody wants me to pay, you know, he was going at the top of the first round. If they want me to pay late first round price for him, I don't think I'm doing that. Okay, Kenta Mita, uh, he had a bad start versus the Cubs. Normally I would chalk it up as just a bad start, but here's the issue. The Dodgers have a major abundance of starting pitching, as seems to be the case every year. Um, and they're moving Stripling to the pen with Julio Urias in the mix and Rich Hill coming back. Um, 
but another bad start may result in time in the pen or a DL stint for Meta. Skills look good. He's showing a strong swing and strike rate. Um, signs of a change with usage shifting from the fastball to the changeup. Uh, the contact profile indicates that he's been extremely unlucky. He's a buy, but it certainly takes some degree of stomach to, to buy him, considering he's maybe a bad start away from a phantom IL stint or uh, ending up in the bullpen. And if he ends up in the bullpen, there's no guarantee he makes it back out. And Stripling's been good. So, I mean, it's not as though the alternative isn't there for the Dodgers uh, if they want it. And they've put Meta in the pen before, so it's not as though they're taking a starter and forcing him into a role he's never seen before. Okay, and uh, the last player I'm going to discuss tonight is Stephen Piscotty. Um, to the eye test, I think Piscotty is looking like the second-half player that really broke out. Lots of hard contact. Um, he's seeing the walk rate tick up. The strikeout rate is sub-20%. The power hasn't quite been there. Um, he's got four bombs, so, I mean, it's it's been there, but it hasn't been uh, to any sort of outrageous level. But he's got a 51% hard contact rate on fly balls. I think there's more coming there from a power perspective. Um, I've always thought that he was a, a strong hitter for in terms of his batting average profile. Um, now, Oakland is a tough place to hit for average, especially when you're putting the ball in the air. But it's a good lineup. I think the run production should be there. I think the batting average should float around 270, 275. And I, and I think there is a real potential here for for 30 bombs, um, given the fact that he's making that sort of loud, hard contact on fly balls. Um, you know, we, we could see a run like we saw from him in the second half last year. I, he's He's been kind of boring at this point. He's had a nice little tear this week. But I still think that you can probably get him for a price that's outside of a top 30 outfielder. And I expect him to be that uh, rest of season. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at PatrickFWO. And we will be back next week.